My theme for this morning is dynamic duo. Dynamic duo. I've said it over a few weeks now. I'm, I'm journeying through the book of Acts, going over and over certain portions in Acts. I'm learning a lot. I'm seeing a lot of things which I didn't quite see or quite understand, you know, even though I've read through the book of Acts many times. And um, I'm using this opportunity because we are having these wedding blessings and celebration to speak on the subject or into the subject of marriage. And it's not to isolate anybody or make anybody feel, well, why, why is pastor talking about marriage? Because I know and I'm aware that there are many singles amongst us. But because of what, where we're journeying and we're having these wedding blessings, I, I'm using the opportunity. I'm not asking any of the other preachers to do the same as me, but I'm using the opportunity to speak into this subject matter. Because it's important, and perhaps not enough is said about it to encourage those who are married. And what, what do we see around us? We, we see a lot of struggling marriages, and we see a lot of marriage breakups. You know, uh, people who are journeying, maybe at the, at the outset, and in the mid, sort of middle passage, and each passage brings its own challenges and some towards the end. So certainly we need to take encouragement from the scripture in regards to marriage. And for those who are not married and looking to be married, this is some good material for you. So uh, just take this as a deposit, tuck it away somewhere you can draw on it at some time in the future. Amen. So I hope you understand the context of where I'm coming from. It's not to speak to a few. These messages apply to all of us. And we can draw things out from all of them anyway. Because we're talking about partnerships and working together. So let me just go back to Acts 18 verse 18 and begin there. It says, so Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Just for some background, just to uh, let you know that Acts chapter 18 verse 22, and we know that Paul went on three missionary journeys. Well, Acts 18 22 marks the end of Paul's second missionary journey. And then the very next verse, Acts 18 23, it's a brief verse, but that's where Paul's third missionary journey commences. What we can't see or what is not apparent from just reading those two verses is that some scholars believe that between Acts 22 and Acts 23 is the period of about a year. And it is believed that Paul spent this year in Antioch and Antioch became his home church. And then he left from there to embark on the third missionary journey. So going forward to Acts 18.24, Dr. Luke, who was accompanying Paul at this time, takes us back to a scene in Ephesus where we meet this dynamic duo, this wonderful couple, Aquila 
and Priscilla. And one of the things that they are mentioned six or seven times in the scripture, Aquila and Priscilla. And you will notice that sometimes uh, the husband is named first, then the wife. And sometimes the wife is named first and then the husband. You know, which says something to me of uh, equality and their togetherness. That it didn't really matter, you know, who was named first or who was named second. So they're a remarkable couple. I'm calling them the dynamic duo this morning. And we are told that Aquila and Priscilla had come to Corinth from Italy as victims of Roman persecution. Not only for their Christian faith, but because Aquila was a Jew. So they had to flee for their lives from Rome and indeed from Italy because the Emperor Claudius had expelled all Jews from Rome. And it was deemed unsafe for Jews to remain in that region of the, of the world. <clears throat> so Aquila and Priscilla found their way to Corinth, and Corinth is in Greece, and they settled there and pursued their trade because they were tent makers. They made tents. So it was here in Corinth that Aquila and Priscilla, or rather the Apostle Paul, first encountered this couple. And from the scripture we know that Paul would later note that he came to Corinth in weakness, fear, and trembling. And you can find this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3. And indeed, earlier in this same chapter of Acts 18, we read there of Paul being afraid. This is the only time in Scripture. Because, you know, Paul was kind of like a no-nonsense, kind of just get-on-with-it person, just go ahead. They said that Paul was the kind of person that would upset people because he'd just do things. You know, he would just get up and go. But in Acts 18.9, we read there of the Lord saying to Paul, don't be afraid. So it tells us something about this city of Corinth, the only place where Paul journeyed on his missionary journey. I remember Paul was beaten, left for dead, Shipwreck. He went through all sorts of things and you never hear any mention of him being afraid. But he arrives in Corinth and the Lord is encouraging him and saying, Paul, don't be afraid. And he admits he arrives in weakness, fear and trembling. But it was Priscilla and Aquila, who was already in Corinth, that welcomed him into their workplace. So we see here this couple is hospitable. And they provided Paul with meaningful employment that facilitated his missionary activities. Now after some time in Corinth, Paul determined to return to Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila, um, who were committed to early Christian ministry, accompanied Paul across the Aegean Sea to Ephesus, where they continued to minister with Paul. So you see that they become friends, and now they're journeying together on mission. <coughs> and then the Acts narrative <coughs> doesn't say much more about Priscilla and Aquila after that, but there is a good indication 
that the couple remained active in their support of the early church. And then we see in the book of Romans, Paul has in chapter 16 a listing of greetings. He mentions certain people who have helped him, you know, in ministry. And Paul in this list sends a greeting and his regards to Priscilla and Aquila. And it seems as if Paul writes into the church in Rome that although Aquila and Priscilla had to flee for their lives from Rome, but it seems that at some point they had taken the risk and returned back to Rome. And if that wasn't courageous enough, Paul notes that Priscilla and Aquila risked their necks for him. That's in Romans 16 verse 3. Quoting from Bishop Hanley Moore, he translates it this way. For my life's sake, Priscilla and Aquila submitted their own throats to the knife. Now we don't know what brave act that Aquila and Priscilla um, may have submitted themselves to. But we know that they were brave, we know that they were courageous, and we know whatever they did at that point, it had an impact on Paul, and Paul would remember it and even write and make mention of it. So although the details are unclear, the importance of them risking their lives for Paul was very important. And then Priscilla and Aquila make two more appearances in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 16 verse 19, where they they are with Paul, and again in 2 Timothy 14, 19, where the author's last testament is not complete without a final word of loving correspondence with the couple who have evidently returned to Ephesus. So we see here a lifelong friendship has developed between this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, and Paul, the apostle. So now we're going to go back to the scene in Acts 24, where we will meet another character whose name is Apollos. And I'll read again from verse 24 of Acts 18. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of God, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in a synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. So now we introduce to Apollos. The scripture tells us that he was mighty in the scriptures. So Apollos is a very gifted, a very 
powerful orator, very gifted speaker. He had an excellent knowledge, working knowledge of uh, the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures. He had a good handle on the world of word of God. But the only thing is, he did not know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Apollos knew the Jewish scriptures up to the point of John the Baptist and uh, the baptism of repentance that John the Baptist preached. But he had no knowledge of uh, the Savior, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So can you imagine this great orator coming into Corinth, is mighty in the scriptures, and perhaps, I don't know, he's at the synagogue or he's out preaching somewhere, and Aquila and Priscilla see him and hear him, and they think, wow, this man, what a fantastic preacher. This man is great. But we need to tell him something. He's lacking in uh, the fuller knowledge of the word of God. And verse 26 of Acts 18 tells us that Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos aside. They took him to one side and lovingly instructed him in the full counsel of God. And I have to admire Priscilla and Aquila for uh, the route they t- they, that they took to counsel with Apollos because they could have felt threatened by him. You know, we've been here ministering all this time. Along comes this stranger, he's a fantastic preacher, but he doesn't know the full counsel of God. They could have shamed him in public. They, have, they could have just called him out on the carpet, but they didn't do that. They didn't use it as an opportunity to, to be divisive and to, to create uh, division and strife. They didn't feel threatened by Apollos. What they sensed in their hearts was compassion towards this man who had great gifting. And in their eyes, they could see that God could use him mightily if he had the full counsel of the scripture. So they lovingly call him aside and share the truth with him in love as we read in Ephesians 4 verse 15. What I like about this couple is that they are confident. They're confident about who they are. They're confident about their call. They're confident about their ministry. They're confident about their business life. They don't have to feel threatened by anybody coming into town. They're confident about who, where God has placed them, who God has made them to be, and they're working together. But also we see that they are respectful. They're respectful. They don't uh, seek to lift up or exalt themselves above a policy or seek to put him down because of his great gift to, to speak and to expand the scripture. They respect this man and call him to one side and instruct him in the way of the Lord. But also I think we have to admire and respect Apollos here. 
Because can you imagine Apollos coming? I don't know if he was trained in the scripture. I don't know how he got this handle on the word of God. But we know from the Bible said he was mighty in the scripture. He must have been an absolutely fantastic preacher. But you have to respect him because he's there preaching with all his heart. He's, he gets called aside by this couple. And po- Apollos could have said, I ain't listening to no tent makers. Do you know where I was schooled? you know whose feet I sat under? you know how long it took me to get this handle on the word of God? I ain't listening to no tent makers. But that wasn't Apollos' attitude or approach, was it? What we see in this man here is humility. He's a gifted, he's a powerful speaker. However, Apollos is teachable. Wow. I'll tell you, there's some big lessons for me to learn right there. Doesn't matter how much we learn, how much we know, we must remain teachable because we don't know it all. Nobody knows it all. So we see here that Apollos is teachable. He humbles himself and receives the counsel from this couple of tent makers. So there's tremendous lessons here for us to learn on both sides of this equation. We learn from what we see Aquila and Priscilla do. We don't need to shame people in public. We don't need to call them out on the carpet. What we do, we do in love. The golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. What a confident, respectful couple. And on the other side of the equation, we see Apollos humbling himself and being teachable and receiving instruction from these tent makers. So what we see here is a wonderful husband and wife team, Aquila and Priscilla. They have an incredible relationship with each other. And with the Apostle Paul, because of their common interests, because of their trade, you know, making tents, they work alongside each other and they were able to share and pursue goals together. And you know, the main points that really struck me as I went through the scripture and what I want to bring to bear is that in our marriages, and I mentioned about different stages of marriages, and these different stages have different challenges. Anyone in here who's married or has been married, I know you can uh, testify to that. The challenges you have in year one are not going to be the same challenges. Or they shouldn't be. You should, hopefully you should have matured and, and got past some of those things. But, you know, challenges uh, kind of evolve with, with, along the journey, don't they? You know, it's like having, you know, I was speaking to someone the other day and they had some young children and I said, uh, and they were saying to me, I can't wait till they grow up. <laughs> I better not get myself in trouble right here. <laughs> the challenges don't go away when they grow up. It's just the nature of the challenges change and probably become even more challenging. Yes, let me just zip it right there. This is where notes come in usefully though. You keep yourself out of trouble. Just stick to the notes. So, 
Yes, so marriage is whatever stage your marriage may be at or about to enter into. Marriage has to become more than just paying bills. Working to bring money in to put food on the table. Marriage is more than just raising the children, you know, and according to the scripture, the priority relationship in a marriage is the husband and wife, you know, and how many of us are in danger sometimes of putting our children in front of that relationship. Of course, we know the vertical relationship with God comes first as Christians, but then the, the next or the most, the highest human relationship, as I see in Scripture, is between a husband and a wife. So it's got to be more about more than just paying the bills. It's got to be more about raising the children. It's got to be more about more than about um, individual pursuits. And there's nothing wrong with with any of those things. But what I see here in Aquila and Priscilla is that they find a common project. They have a common pursuit that both of them are chasing together. And that is so essential. We can have, and I don't believe the scripture is saying here that if you're married, then you have to set up business with your, with your spouse and, and, and run business together. It doesn't mean that. But what it's saying that regardless of your individual pursuits and interests, there must be something solid that is common between a husband and a wife that together both of you are pursuing together under God. And I believe that when couples find this, husband and wife find this, it helps them to develop a new kind of unity. A new kind of unity can be produced. Because you know that common pursuits will bring lots of spin-offs with it. Conversation, spending time together, doing tasks together and so on, which is so important for the continuation and development of our relationships. And then the other thing I see here is that with this couple and the introduction of Paul to them, that they seem to uh, gain courage. They're emboldened by the, the addition of the, the relationship with the apostle Paul. So it's good to have other believers. Of course, they shouldn't get in between your relationship. You know, who God has joined together, let no man set asunder. But it's good to have, I suppose, contemporaries, you know, who bring courage and boldness uh, to what we already have existing as a relationship and common goals that we're pursuing together. And this is what Paul brings. The scripture, Matthew 18, 20 says, For where two or three are gathered, in the name of Jesus, that Jesus, God, is in the midst so I, I like this, this power and this boldness that Paul brings to this couple to the point that they would journey with him, as it seems, maybe on at least a couple of, of missionary journeys. But still together, they have their own common pursuits and common goals. And that's what I want to encourage myself and married couples in here and watching online.
to seek common pursuits, something that both of you together, and it can be anything. It doesn't even have to necessarily be something that's spiritual, but it's something that both of you pursue together. It will help to hold you together, particularly in challenging times. So we see here, Aquila and Priscilla, they are a loving couple. They're considerate of others. They are brave. They are hospitable. They are confident in who God has created them to be and uh, the reason why God has put them together. We see here a united couple who may have individual interests and pursuits, but they have, at least we know of one common goal, that together they are pursuing under God. And Paul then comes along into this relationship, becomes a lifelong friend, and emboldens them and gives them courage. I hope that in looking at this passage, and of course you can apply this to other relationships as well, but this morning I'm speaking into the context of marriage. I hope that we can glean something. It may be very simple, and as we know, you know, sometimes the simple things are not so simple to execute, to deliver you know, where the rubber meets the road. But I place this before us for our consideration this afternoon. I place this before every marriage couple. If you're struggling, we're going to be praying in a while for you. But I hope you'll take from this message and perhaps go in your own time and read again this story of Aquila and Priscilla. And let's see what we can glean from their lives and from their examples. And of course, no message would be complete without a call for those who are outside of Christ. Because marriage is so important because marriage is like the relationship that Jesus has with his church. That's why marriage is so important. It reflects the relationship of Jesus Christ and his church. And if you are outside of that relationship today, now is an opportunity to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He died for you. He loves you. He sacrificed himself for you. He didn't bring us to shame, did he? But he took on our shame and our guilt so that we who believe in Jesus Christ, in the person and works of Jesus Christ, can be saved. And that's how we're saved. It's not through what we do. We can add nothing to our salvation. Not one thing. We can't add any works to being saved. It's wholly and solely by grace and faith in the person and works of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, the shame that you feel even now, the things that you are ashamed of. Jesus died for every single one of those things so that you 
can believe in him and be free from that sin. He wants to deliver you from the penalty of sin. He wants to deliver you from the penalty of sin. And in exchange, give you life eternal. If you're outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're in this sanctuary or you're watching this online, I invite you and I recommend you to Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the world. And in a while, I'll pray a short prayer. And if you'd be so kind, you can pray this prayer along with me. And it's, it's as simple as that. It's by faith and it's by grace. You can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We can't add anything to it. You have to receive that gift of salvation. But I'll tell you this one thing. If you receive Jesus and you pray this prayer sincerely, I can guarantee you, not of a, a reformation, but a transformation. Something that will begin on the inside. I've experienced it. So I'm not talking from theory. I have watched my own life change before me when I bowed my knee to Jesus Christ at the age of 13. And not so much by my own efforts because I was trying to be a, a better teenager. No. God came in and it was like a light inside of me began to, to shine and certain things just began to change. And I know there are many other people in this congregation and all around the world that can testify to the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to, if you want to experience that change, the opportunity is yours today to receive Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as your personal Lord and Savior and come into union, come into a relationship, come into right standing with Him. Not because of anything that you can bring to sacrifice, but simply because you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Can we be upstanding together as we move to prayer? I'll pray first of all for those who want to make a decision right now to receive Jesus Christ. Will you just say this simple prayer after me? And let's, let's help them, congregation. I know most of us in here are Christians. But in support of those who are either amongst us or watching online, let's say this aloud. Heavenly Father, I come to you a sinner and acknowledge that I have done wrong. Things that I am ashamed of in my past. I bring them to you and ask for your full forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation and receive forgiveness from you and pardon for all my sins. Come into my life, Lord Jesus and transform me from the inside out. Take away the old and bring a new and a clean heart in me. 
I thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that I'm washed in the precious blood of Jesus. And I ask you to empower me now by your spirit to live a spirit-filled life. I thank you for salvation. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Can we just give God some thanks for someone who maybe in here or maybe online who's watching this at some point. And you know, one thing I've learned that God knows everything. God knows why he fills our minds and our mouths with certain things to say. Whether it's for this moment or for some other moment in the future, God knows. So we just entrust that, that declaration and that prayer to God. Now I'm going to pray for marriages here. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But there are marriages I can see in here. And I can also, uh, I also know that people are watching online. I'm going to ask my own wife to come to join me as we pray together. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. God our Father, we thank you that your word is so rich with instruction. Thank you for your word is is bursting out with wisdom. If only we would take time and spend time uh, before your word and uh, even like Apollos to be teachable and to put our place, ourselves in that place where we humble ourselves to receive instruction from your word. Lord, for whatever reason, you've brought us Harvest Temple into this season of uh, celebrating weddings and marriages. And I don't understand why we're here. I don't know why we're here, but you know why we're here. And so, Lord, as you have orchestrated this, none of these couples knew that they would be celebrating four weeks in a row. But you knew all about this, Lord. And I just believe you want some focus and you want some emphasis on this. And that's what I have chosen to do with the opportunities I've been given to speak. Lord, there are marriages represented in this sanctuary. There are marriages of people watching online. Marriages of all ages. New marriages, middle-aged marriages, marriages in their senior years. Marriages, Lord, as we know, face ups and downs and various challenges. But Lord, I believe that you have brought to bear on our hearts this simple thing today. That we would, as married couples, find a common pursuit. Something that we can chase after together under you by your grace. And so, Lord, I pray that you would infuse this into our hearts and into our spirits and may it become more than just words, but I pray that it will work itself out in our actions, O God, in our doing, O Lord, and will bring closer unity and purpose together, Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, I pray that you would... uh, Give to all of us, and particularly those who may be struggling at this point in time, 
as the Apostle Paul brought uh, power and boldness and courage. May this service, or maybe, Lord, a godly person, bring encouragement and strength and upliftment, oh God, to a couple who may be struggling right now. You may be asking certain questions. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would grant them wisdom to navigate this terrain, oh God. They can make it. And I speak to you prophetically in the name of Jesus, wherever you are, that your marriage can be successful. It can survive this storm. It can be prosperous in the name of Jesus. If you would determine in your heart to be teachable, to humble yourselves, and to make time to, to pursue a common goal together. And so we pronounce this blessing now. And Lord, not to exclude anybody, we commit to you the entirety of our church, the married, the widowed, the divorced, the singles, those who are yet to be married, oh God, those who are expecting to be married, or oh, that is their desire. All these challenges are before us, mighty God. And sometimes we seem at a loss as how they're going to be resolved. But we turn to you, the mighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the God who made us in your own image and likeness and fashioned us. The God who has a purpose for every single human being that is born into this earth. None is born without purpose. Thank you, Father, that you will open doors and make ways for all of your people to live a fulfilled life, oh God. Knowing that this is not all there is to life, but there is life beyond this life. When we cross over into that eternal divide, into a place, Lord, where we will live eternally with you. And all that we're going through now, all our ups and downs, Lord, you are preparing us for that city, that new Jerusalem. And so, Lord, while we bear our heartaches and pains and while we are disappointed in this life from time to time, we know that when we reach there, Lord, when we see you face to face, Lord, our hearts will be filled with joy and gratitude and we will join the millions of saints in saying that everything that you have done was well done. Even when we couldn't see, even when we couldn't understand, even when we couldn't fathom, one day in eternity we will say, all that you have done, you have done well and glory be to your name. So with this thought in mind, we journey on, Lord, through the struggles and pains and disappointments. Because we know that our reward is sure in heaven. Hallelujah. And we rejoice in you, oh God. We rejoice, we rejoice. Even as the message last week was still ringing in my heart. 
that Job worshipped. Hallelujah. And so we worship, Lord. And so we worship you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. I commit my own marriage to you, Lord. Congregation, pray for us. Just stretch your hand towards us. We commit ourselves to you under your mighty hand. And receive the blessing of this, our home church and our congregation, oh God. That we would live exemplary life. So help us, God. Help us to be genuine in our living, in our example, in our sharing, in our helping, oh God. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.